This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever. Dog. We'll find out when he comes out. He's out here filming Clifford, which says with Martin Short. And he's, uh, he wrote a very entertaining memoir titled, It Would Be Nice, It Would Be So Nice If You Weren't Here. <laughs> That's the way his mind goes. Would you welcome Mr. Charles Grodin? A lot of people, when you're on the show, they write me and they call and they say, well, why, does, what, why does Charles Grodin treat you so shabbily? Doesn't he like you? What, what is it? I mean... You, have any, you want to address that or speak to that question? I don't know what to do uh, when I'm out here because most of the reasons people come on a talk show, I can't really do that. I can't come out and... and uh, why do people come on a talk show, in your opinion? You're Mr. Talk Show. To plug uh, this book, to plug this movie. Okay, and if I would do that... <laughs> and if I would do What that, else are you here for? If I, that's what I'm asking. If that's I would right. do that, your attitude would be disdain. You know, when I tried to talk about my book in the hardcover, mm-hmm. you said... Uh, 1895, you know, that's a lot of money for a book. And I thought I said, it was. it's my whole life. I thought it was. And uh, you said, uh, you know, maybe if it's Mother Teresa's life. You, know. you remember those things, don't you? Yes, I do. You, I didn't know you were that sensitive. You actually remember that. I'm, I'm so sensitive, I really can't answer a question from someone who's not interested in the question. I'm very interested in the question. <laughs> now, what? What? It's all right. It's okay. I'm used to it. I mean, you don't really care what I have to say, do you? Honestly? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta do. I gotta do an hour a night. Yeah. I'm right. looking for warm bodies. Right. That's all. And if, if I, actually, I can get seven minutes out of you, I take a bundle. I go home to Malibu. <laughs> you know. This is a cruel business we live in, but let's just lay it right on the table right. once and for all so people understand. That's right. So if you ask me what I'm up to, I'm not going to answer because I'm not going to make a fool of myself and watch you go to sleep as I answer oh, the no, question. No. No, no. I know all the tricks. I always look alert when I don't care. You see? That's amazing. How long have you been on the air? You had to get the you know, last sometimes one Sometimes longevity itself, you know, we so appreciate that you're here. It doesn't really matter what you're saying. You know? <laughs> That's true. have 
like a packet of Swiss Miss than a Swiss watch. Like, like see, that's why we're not. That's why we're poor. That is because yeah. we're not. We're not the kind of people that are like, oh man, I wish I had that Rolex. Yeah, I'm still wow. at the point where I'm just like, wait, which one is the which one's the expensive one, Rolex or Timex? Like, I still find myself going like, which one is it? And then it's like, yep, that shows we know who you are now. Thank you, sir. I have a gas X. Gas. I you have a gas X gas X watch. <laughs> I don't want to be around for the alarm going off on that one on that watch. This is stupid. This, we sound yeah. stupid. We're we're being stupid and we're we're a little uh this is just silly. We this is this is what the show is. It's two people having a silly old time. Yeah. Just shake out the sillies. Just shake yes! out the sillies. Like you do before you go on stage and you do a bitch and Harold. You do crazy eights, you do hot spot, you do um Hotspot? What's hotspot? Uh, well, it's when a dog. No, just kidding. Yeah, it's, it's gonna um, be like that's a dog having a little irritated skin. <laughs> it's when everyone stands in a circle and then someone goes in the circle and just starts singing, and then someone tags them out and they start singing like a different song, and it's uh, horrible. Yeah, it sounds pretty bleak. I um, <laughs> I never took a single improv class and. I feel like I'm really missing something. I feel like I, I missed a part of that experience. Not the not the co- comedic part necessarily, but the, the social the, the social the, part, the camaraderie, the the family, the the chosen family, if you will. Exactly the heading over to McManus for a cold one if, afterwards. If you will, I will. A cold onion ring. A cold onion ring and a warm beer. Here's the thing about a warm-up exercise where you know everyone has to take a turn making a fool of themselves. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if you were playing Russian roulette, but every chamber had a bullet in it. <laughs> yes. So you're just shooting yourself. You're guaranteed yeah. to die. <laughs> what a, well, that's a fun uh, or or you, ha- you have to, or it is Russian roulette, but you have to keep clicking even when your turn is done until you get to the bullet. Yeah. You're just like, keep going. Okay. Keep going. Look, as Tom, as a friend of mine named Tom Sharpling would say, God bless him. God bless them all. <laughs> and you know, a friend of mine, Julie Klausner told me that this week's double threat is one for the ages. It's one for the history books. Mm-hmm. And the history books. Yes. And it is a celebration of one of our favorite comedy icons. Yes. A, a, a legit force of nature. The late, great Charles Grodin. And yes. Tom and I were talking about how much Charles Grodin has influenced us and why we love him as much as we do. And I was just listening to the Fresh Air interview he did with uh, Terry Gross in 1989 and he talked about how he put all of his bitterness around show business into his persona mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I said I can think of I can think of a person or two that's harnessed that yeah I and I did not to me he's always been this mystery like he's he's one of the people who like, like in show business, people, and we'll talk about this with with our guests, I'm sure. Like, 
and we'll say who our guests are as they as they happen. It'll be a fun thing. And yeah. although you're probably reading the podcast description, you know who they are already. Which stop? Please stop. Stop yeah. reading. Pay attention. Yeah, just blur your sakes. eyes. Blur your eyes just and just cl- let the or show close happen. your eyes, especially yeah. if you're driving. Especially yeah. if you're driving. He is um, somebody who. When people would take take people take a certain aspect of show business very seriously and they don't it's like playing with fire. The idea of when you would go with your public persona yes. and especially your talk show persona, yes. like the idea of the the very idea of a talk show is to be likable. That's why you're going on it. Right. To be a guest to chit chat to show off that you're congenial, especially in the Johnny Carson age of people coming to have a hang. It was mm-hmm. all about, you know, kissing the ring and pretending like we're all having a grand old time, even though if it were up to us, women really wouldn't be allowed to vote. Mm-hmm. Cause you're all, you're kind of being a guest. You're kind of being nice to America when you do those things. Like you're to the people watching at home, you're showing them that they are like, like me is what you're pretty much saying is the subtext. And he went and did not do that. He did. He did the exact opposite of that, which is like, it's truly insane when you think, when you think about a career to go on and be like, I'm going to make people think I suck or like, I hate when that guy's on the show. Oh, he's, he's, cause he just, he's difficult. He's grouchy. He's, he, he seems mad at everyone. And it's, it's an amazing feat. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about, let's first of all, let's talk about your, your attitude since it's reared its ugly head here. Now <laughs> you come on the show and you've been coming on several years. And you always, you seem reluctant to participate in a civilized exchange. (laughs) I know that it's just a little attitude that you adopt for humorous purposes. And uh, some people don't understand that, but why don't you clear it up for once and for all? I don't adopt it for humorous purpose. I'm (laughs) reacting to you. (laughs) No. I think the person with the attitude problem is you. (laughs) No. And I don't think it just manifests itself when I come on here. I think it manifests itself on a regular basis, whether I'm here or not. No. I don't know why you'd make it about me when no. it's about you. No, that's uh, that's, that's uh, what? No, that's not pony true. Up the, uh, pony up the dough. Sure. Well, when you were growing up, what, for, when did you become a super fan of Charles Grodin? Um, like when I started getting into comedy, early Letterman was what did it for me when I first saw this guy. And then I guess I would have seen him in... Um, Incredible Shrinking Woman was big for me. And then Seems Like Old Times was on cable all the time. Seems Like Old Times, I I did, I, I wish I had rewatched it before we did this. He, it, that movie I loved so much as a kid. This, this Chevy Chase, Goldie Hawn, Charles Grodin triangle. And yes. he's like, he's so good in it. And he's just, those two movies were were my introduction to him Mm -hmm. and um and then then you couple it with the talk show stuff with the letterman stuff and then you're just like this guy is on his own planet how about you you? know when well i was just gonna say that when i was growing up and i saw him on talk shows i thought he was really mean and i didn't get it at all 
And it took me, um, I think what what you were saying, it wasn't until, I think I sort of got into him and Albert Brooks around the same time. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense because they are, they're, they're, they're two sides to the same coin, those guys in, in a lot yes. of ways. And they also teamed up for one of the all time great movies, real life. What's your favorite line in that movie? It's always eat your pizza, eat your pizza, honey. <laughs> Just to me, it's just a, a man calling a little boy honey. Honey is the funniest thing because he's being performative because there's cameras and he, but he's being performative trying to be natural while trying to be real at the same time. It's, it's kind of a perfect part for him because he could have, he harnessed his stiffness. Mm-hmm. Honey, do you think it's safe for you to be eating with your heating pad in your lap? I have terrible cramps. I am bleeding profusely, and I want to vomit on the table. <laughs> what are you doing? No, I, I just want to let them know that this is not the way we usually talk, especially at the dinner table. Eric, why don't you just leave the towel? Want to take your pizza into your room? Honey, take your pizza into your room and watch some TV, okay? Okay. Why does he have to finish his dinner in the other room? I just thought he could have more fun eating there. Oh, he can't have fun here. Honey, it's hard to have fun when you have to listen to your mother whining about her terrible menstrual cramps every day. I mean, really, honey, every day. I agree, and it is also not much fun to have an IUD stuck in you to prevent, as you put it, more mouths to feed. (laughs) Look, I never said that. Oh, I don't care what you said. I am having this coil taken out Monday, and from now on, if you want safe sex, you can have it with one of your animals. I know you didn't mean anything by that, so I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. I just uh, You're just upset the way everybody gets. It kind of tapped into the thing that he would later do kind of straight in a way with the Beethoven movies and things of just being a dad, like the average dad in those movies, which were huge. Those movies were, those Beethoven movies were. They were in the headline of his obituaries mm-hmm. to the extent where I almost felt bad. And then I remembered, did I pay for his house in Connecticut? No. No, Beethoven did. That dumb <laughs> was, dog did. Me, me being a fan of Clifford, did that pay for his car? Did not. Beethoven did. Of course did. not. Beethoven. Beethoven was there at the at the uh, office co-signing. Oh my God, Tom and Julie, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but the the name that just popped up in the waiting room is is I, I can't Who's even talking, believe. First of all, I, I can't even believe what. Oh, this is Brett. Sorry, this is hi oh, Brett. Okay. Oh hey hey guys, nice to see you, Brett. Uh, thanks. Sorry, I'm running late. I was uh just uh I had to run some errands, but uh, I just got here and I just see the name in the waiting room is absolutely. I can't believe what I'm looking at. No, don't don't uh, say it. We want to. Meet this, yeah. whoever this mystery person yeah. is. Okay, Brett. should I should I bring yeah. them on then? Uh, yes, please okay. yeah. do. All right, here we go. Bringing this person on now. I'm this is so exciting. I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. Don't be nervous. I'm nervous. It's it's Marty. Oh my god. Hi, Marty. How are you? Do you always keep all of your awards behind you in every Zoom? No, but this is my new thing, and I like it. <laughs> Look at that. There's Tonys, there's Emmys, there's Canadian Screen Awards. I mean, come on. I see the awards before I see the photos of your family. I need you to know that perspective-wise, the awards are sort of, they're very shiny. Well, I mean, look, 
you know, awards are hard to get. Family, you can't help. I mean, you're just stuck. With it. But try getting a Tony. What's easier, uh, having a Tony or two brothers? Trust me. Name Tony. <laughs> yeah. You could always name a kid Tony mm-hmm. if you yeah, exactly. Oh, mm-hmm. well, this is uh, the highlight of my life right now. Ouch. I first had a of all, very sad life. I'm sorry. Well, I have. <laughs> oh boy, Marty, you have no idea. Do you have a few hours. Um, <laughs> no, I. Um, well, first of all, we have Martin Short on the show. This is so exciting to talk about Charles Grodin and other things. Hopefully, and I want to just say, first of all, we have met before. I was the maniac who I own the suit from Clifford that I brought to you. <laughs> I remember that. In New Jersey, you were on my radio show and you did a show in Red Bank, New Jersey. And then That's I, right. afterwards, I brought the 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 suit for the dinner party that I bought and you inspected it. How much did it. that cost you? Mid 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 three figures. Mid seven like that means like seven hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah or it could be yeah. as low as five hundred. It was not. No, it was. It was. You're. You're. You're both. By the way, that's what it cost me to get out of the car in front of the peninsula and then finally get to my room. <laughs> Just through tipping. Well, you could pay people in Clifford suits, maybe. Maybe that's what you should I be think, doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a soluble currency. That's like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's going to last longer than Bitcoin, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, Marty, we're here to talk about not just Clifford, but I recently rewatched the first episode of Mr. Grodin's CNBC show and you were his first guest in addition to Art Garfunkel. That's right. And the two of you had such a wonderful dynamic because he was not in character when he was hosting the way he was in character when he was guesting on other shows. Right. He'd just become Chuck at dinner and start laughing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And the two of you are just hilarious together even when he is out of character and the other thing i i noticed about that specifically is how much he he pimps you out to do your characters yes mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> yeah it's like i wonder what jerry lewis would say about this <laughs> exactly i wonder what jerry lewis would say you know he had that slight <laughs> thing brett do we have that do we have that clip of marty on the first show is it okay if we watch this marty sure with you Okay, I just want to know if this jogs any. Yeah, and at this point, uh, Art Garfunkel is on the show at this point, um, and uh, they've just talked about the breakup of Simon and Garfunkel. Where we pick it up here. It was a difficult. It was a difficult split. I understand, and 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 the world misses you. Although you have gotten the better uh, together on uh, many occasions, and I I know it must have been difficult for you as well, Jerry, when when you when you split with with Dean. Jerry, why don't you just throw a fish and I'll go like this? I don't believe the check is that big. Hey, you want to know a split? I'm telling you. Hey, do you mind if I have a lawsuit? The thing is about Dean is that Dean wanted to go on his own. And I felt that that was a good thing. But there's just... (laughs) I'll say that for later. Marty Allen also wanted. He had that. Hello no, you, you, the, I, got, I was going to do that to you. I can't because we were we were talking I, about this. I, I just wanted to point out when when Grodin laughs at you, he's showing all of his teeth, Marty. He's just in heaven. You mm-hmm. see all. You see top, bottom. Like he is just completely out of whatever character, and he's just <laughs> loving life. That's funny. I haven't seen that in a long time since I did it. I don't think I've seen it. 
Wow. It's just nice to see how I was making Father of the yeah. Bride too. That's right. That's why I have black hair. Mm-hmm. It's just nice to it's just nice to see how happy you made him. <laughs> well, that's nice. Well, how did you first meet him, Marty? I met him. You know, I mean, I might have met him at a Lorne Michaels party in the mid '80s, but I really got to know him doing the film Clifford in 1990. Okay. Well, what would be your first expo- ex- exposure to him as a as an actor? What, what was fan. the first time? Um, you know, I mean, I later would realize he would play the doctor in Rosemary's Baby and things like that. But it was the Heartbreak Kid that I was obsessed with. Oh, my God. And I thought it was one of the greatest, and still do, one of the greatest comedic performances on film. Because he is unafraid to show the absolute horrible side of someone who really needs to get what he wants. And... Uh, it, he's just brilliant in it. He's astoundingly brilliant. As is Jeannie Berlin, as is Sybil Shepherd, everybody. You know, and, and people forget about that film that it feels like such an Elaine May film, but it was written by Neil Simon. Oh, that's funny. You'd never think that because right. it has her and her daughters all over it too, but it has right. that kind of... Also, I think it's got such an ambiguous ending that only Grodin can pull off because it's a sad ending in that he gets what he wants, but he'll never be happy. He'll never be happy and probably leave this one. Right. Shepherd. But another actor, I don't know if they could convey that in the way that his sort of dead eyes and that scene with that little kid does. What are you uh, interested in being when you grow up? Well, I haven't decided yet. How old are you? 10 right now. 10? I was 10. Excuse me. Sure. Mom. Well, when you think of, you know, when you think of Charles Grodin, he was, I mean, in his Carson and Letterman appearances, he wasn't afraid to come across totally unlikable. Where now we live in a society that it's all about likability. What's mm-hmm. your likability? And he didn't care less about his likability. He wanted to heighten his unlikability. And it's it's the it seems like the riskiest gambit you could possibly do because we were talking about this earlier. Talk shows are the one place where you're supposed to be selling yourself to America, basically, as someone to welcome into your into your entertainment right. choices and things. And he's giving he's actively giving people a reason not to. But I think people like Carson and Letterman, because they were such participants in the the premise of this ornery guest that they let you know it was all safe. I mean, that's the thing about a host of any talk show. The audience looks at him or her and determines if the joke's okay or if the guest went too far. One time I was on Letterman and the audience was laughing and I said to Dave, what are they laughing at? And Dave said, nothing we're doing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're just happy to be out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, But it is that thing where it's like, Outside of the hosts, you're talking about people that are just like, I. why is this guy being mean to my host? I know. But I'm saying, I think if you really felt that David Letterman was getting upset, then you wouldn't mm-hmm. like Broden. Yes. And you'd see a different David Letterman also. Right. But Dave truly was not into it. Also, the great thing about Charles is that he really, he wasn't fueled by the admiration of strangers. He really didn't care. If he thought it was funny, that's all he needed. He didn't need your approval. 
Mm-hmm. Of what about his what about his friends, though? Did did your approval make a difference? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he was very, uh, you know, he loved Carol Burnett, Steve Martin. All these people were his old friends. I wanted to ask about when you were doing Clifford, how you would. Hi- this is the question. Would you heighten your silliness as he was sort of more and more stoic? Because there are so many moments in that where I cannot believe either of you are not breaking and it's almost as though you're trying to break him. He didn't break. He never would break because there was a lot of improvising going on and all the stuff about look at me like a human boy was all improvised. Oh my and, God. and he never, he just is into the character. I remember Richard kind played my father and he, yes. he would break up all the time. Mm-hmm. And and he would hate himself because he knew he'd destroy the tank. But Charles never did. Does it ever get easier, my Uncle Martin? Not really. All right, now listen to me. Listen to me. Here's the deal. You go to your room, write a confession that I will take to the police, and I will not send you back to your parents. And you tell Sarah that you and I are the best of friends. We are, aren't we? Shut up. But if you even look at me funny, if you do one thing that I find weird, which is, you know, like your middle name, see, you're doing it right now. Can you just act like a human boy for one minute here? Look at me like a person. You can't do it for more than a few seconds. Look at me like a human boy. Don't mess around with me. You're gonna be back on that plane. You understand me? I understand that I love you. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I cannot. I, I, I watched that as just the ultimate self-control of him not breaking. And the only other person I could think who would be able to do that while you're doing that in those ridiculous facial expressions <laughs> is maybe um, Bob Einstein. Yeah. Could possibly like have kept a straight face around you. But I imagine that it kind of like heightened your determination to be wackier. I don't know. We just kind of got into a groove. It was, we didn't know what we were doing. I was a 40 year old man playing a 10 year old. And, <laughs> and um, so it was, it was heightened. Then it wouldn't be, then it was bizarre. We, you know, we try all range of takes and those are the choices we make mm-hmm. for better or worse. He, he has that thing where it's such a slow burn that you cannot, it's like, it's like, it, it, cause the two of you, when you get to those, Kima, and look, you know I've seen this movie eighty times. I'm just I have a problem. I have a problem at this point. Um, where when you finally, it's like a heavyweight boxing match where it's like who's gonna win this thing, and he's got his style, and you've got your style, which is completely yeah. counter to his style. And it, but they just, it's like such a great fight. But I think that was in that was true that he was a fan of what I was doing, and I was a fan of what he was doing. So mm-hmm. it was totally different styles. But Charles was very, he wasn't one of these people that in comedy only likes what he does, you know? Mm-hmm. Wait, there are people that are like that? <laughs> well, don't you think Woody's kind of like that? I think oh, most no! everybody is like that. What did you learn from him as an actor, Marty? Did you ever, because I was listening to an interview where he said he had to run the lines with De Niro from Midnight Run, which sounds like a real treat a million times <laughs> the two mm-hmm. of them going back and forth and back and forth before he could just get on camera and do his thing. Um, I know he was classically trained. Did he, 
You know, I, I don't remember um, that. I remember nothing that, that wasn't Catherine. <laughs> but I remember him going over lines a million times. I do remember that he was always knew his lines. He was always on to it. He always wanted to play. And then he'd always come with the pages and he'd written other stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. He was always, what if I said this? What if I said that? Maybe you could say that, you know, there was a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. And is there, are there moments where the two of you are just like, we've had these careers, we've accomplished all that we've accomplished and I'm dressed like a child (laughs) and you're my uncle. And this is the most surreal thing we've ever done. No, not really, because, you know, I had done so many characters and sketches and specials and weird people and weird things. Just being playing a 10 year old was it wasn't like (laughs) you were asking Spencer Tracy to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And was he because because I guess Clifford started you were you were on board as Clifford uh, right off the bat with the movie and with with that process of who's going to play my. Well, that was the fantasy casting. What if Charles really? would do it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, just again, everyone involved in the film adored Heartbreak Kid and adored him, adored him in, you know, check out how funny he is, he and Diane Cannon in uh, Harp, um, Heaven Can Wait, Heaven Can Wait. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. He's hilarious. He's hilarious in yeah. King Kong. Yeah. I remember I mean, in uh, Lonely Guy, too. He was. Yeah, he's in Lonely Guy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then real life, which is our favorite. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Because for me, as a kid, I would see. Um, seems like old times was on cable all the time when I was. Right. That was like so when you're when you're like eight or whatever, and these movies were on on cable. The HBO would just run these things on a loop. It's like they had six movies. Right. So I I probably watched it ten times. And that's that's the first thing I got from him. And then the one with Lily Tomlin, the Incredible Shrinking Woman. Yes. And yeah, but then uh, we were talking before, it's like, then you meet the persona on the talk shows and you're just like, nobody, literally nobody was doing what he was doing with that platform. I don't think anyone's done it since. Yeah. And it's Joaquin Phoenix in that one, you know, appearance (laughs) of day, but that's about it. Yeah. But he didn't do it 12 times. He he wasn't invited invited back. And he was, he was, he did it with Carson too. Mm-hmm. Well, he took the piss out of Carson. It seemed like he wasn't, ner- he seems like he was never nervous. It's because like what you were saying, it didn't seem like he gave a shit about what the audience was going to do or how they were going to react. Or I think certain people just kind of say, this is funny. And if people don't get it, that's their problem. Mm-hmm. Not mine. You know, I was going to say, did, what's it like to have that confidence? Do you think? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, and when, the layers that get put up to like with a persona and then to go become like to, for him to go become the talk show host that after causing so much uh, of a, you know, so many headaches for talk show host to suddenly have to be the guy in the chair is such a, it's such an interesting uh, reversal for him to suddenly have to be the, the welcoming guy and figure out the line for how much. Well, of that's who he really was, do. though. The, when he's on Letterman, he's playing a character. He's doing. Mm-hmm. A bit. And did you ever break when you were working with him, or no? You're, you're, are you completely locked in as well? I tend to be a little locked in. I don't really break up very much. It depends if someone walked onto the set and slipped and fell, <laughs> then I would laugh mm-hmm. and like really hurt themselves. Yeah, really injured. Then I'm gone. 
Yeah, you take so many blows to the head in that, Marty. There's some there's a scene where you get hit on the head like three times and you fall out of frame as the mm-hmm. priest. Yeah. It's a wonderful movie. If anyone oh, who hasn't you. seen Clifford, you're not allowed mm-hmm. to talk to me until you've seen Clifford. Oh, my God. It and is so wildly funny. Yeah. And the two of you in the kitchen with the loaf of bread when he's teaching you how to swing a bat. Like, that is just, oh, my God. And it just feels like one of those things where you're building a thing that for whatever reason did not pop when it came out, but it was the ultimate. It's like, it's like trending upward for 30 years now, this movie. That's what a cult movie does. It's only getting bigger. It's true. Well, one of the reasons that I remember Conan O'Brien once said to me about SCTV that it was on at 1230 and when he was 14, he thought this show was just for him. And that's why he became so passionate about it. So I think when, you know, you're 28 and you're high and you're in a dorm or 22 high in dorm, it depends how many times you failed. I was going to say. You Clifford, then you feel no one knows this. My parents don't know this. This is mine. So I think mm-hmm. that's how all cult films start. Yeah. I mean, that SCTV, the thing you talked about, you just said with Conan is exactly, I remember I would, sometimes I would wake up on Saturday morning and if I fell asleep and I missed it, I would be so sad for the rest of the week because I was just tired. And I was like, I can't believe I missed it. I got to just do better next week. I can't miss it again. (laughs) It was, it was the most important thing because SNL was its own thing. And but it just felt like a variety show and like a like a very live party that was like accepted. And then there was just this odd thing that was from not from New York, from just somewhere else. And, you know, somewhere I'm in New else. Jersey. So it's just like Toronto. What? I don't know. It just felt di- it was moved at a different pace than everything. But it just immediately was the thing that made perfect sense. Well, again, sense the luxury, the luxury of not having an audience is that SCT was making we were making movies and SNL. Yeah. Listen, I've done both shows and you go out there and you believe in a sketch and it gets nothing. You're the first person saying, please cut this. And it's not maybe the piece had it been filmed would have been great. But the, it's not connecting with the audience. And when some, and when you have an audience and you don't hear any response, you feel like you're bombing and that permeates the sketch. But in SCTV, we did it again for ourselves. If we found, you know, an odd Andrew Martin playing Indira Gandhi. Mm-hmm, yes. The Vita, <laughs> that might not play in normal circles, but we found. Oh, really? You don't think? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's a bad example. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I mean, no, no, I'm being, I'm being. A little obscure, yeah. but I'm saying that we found it hysterical. <laughs> therefore, it became part of SCTV. Mm-hmm. Now, was there any, any uh, origin in Clifford from uh, any other uh, Oh, that Rusty? Remember the Oh, that Rusty? The, the, mm-hmm. Where you were no, the, no, no. Um, the, the The Clifford thing was really just based on you're going to play the, the script was originally conceived as a vehicle for a kid. And then it, then it realized it was funnier if an adult played him. But it wasn't like, oh, I'll take that seed and create that seed. Sure. But I didn't know if right. it inspired when you played that kid who was on the show that never went off the no, air. Rusty was a different. Rusty was more like that. 
Mm -hmm. He was more like, you know, later day Lucy. (laughs) Yes, yes. Rusty had been hit as an eight-year-old, and then Mm -hmm. they never canceled the series. So it was in its 38th year. And Rusty had been arrested for shoplifting, and and they kept making the sets bigger, which is and and hiring like six foot seven co-stars to play my dad. Yeah, you know. Well, weren't there like some pretty tall extras in Clifford? Uh, absolutely. No, no, that that part of it is <laughs> true. That's, you know, the making the set bigger. Even my vest, the buttons would be bigger to make me look smaller. <laughs> Were you on your knees at all or no? No, um, uh, no, I wasn't on my knees, but they would like if 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 it was Groden myself, I he'd be on boxes and then they'd cut because the two of us going in and we'd get a real little 10-year-old boy to walk in with him holding his hand. Mm-hmm. And are you still close with him? Do you still keep in touch? Did you pay for his college tuition, Marty? The 10-year-old standard? boy? Yes. I didn't. <laughs> I, I, and I meant to. But, you know, I get so busy. Okay. It's, it's yeah, oh, my God. I'm so busy, especially these days. <laughs> Pandemic. <laughs> Thank you so much for for sharing your memories of working with one of the greats. Hey, thank you guys, and thank you for giving a tribute to Charles. No, this is very oh, special, and we appreciate you taking the time. He's a legend, and so are you, and we just uh, love you so much, Marty. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Bye. Be well. Bye. Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here to let you know about our latest episode of Office Hours Live. Office Hours is great fun. With the great John Early and Theta Hamill. Very handsome. Thank you. Thank you. They're here to talk about their new movie, Stress Positions. And we just had a, a wonderful time. There was a lot of laughter and joy. Don't believe me? Well, listen for yourself on the podcast app of your choice. You're not going to want to miss a second. That's at Office Hours Live at the podcast app of your choice. Bum, 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 bum. I love Vic and Doug and I love drinking my wine. This is a really fun episode and I'm glad we're doing this when we're doing it. I'm glad it's coming together the way it is. And we have more people coming up uh, to talk about Charles Grodin and their experiences with him. And um, I like the part in Midnight Run where he's in that propeller plane and he's so happy. That shot of him like in the propeller plane about to take off and he's so excited. He looks like a little kid. Jack, let's be fair about this. You lied to me first. At the river! What? At the river! Before. Oh, get the... At the river! You lied, to, you lied to me first! You got some fucking nerve! No, no, you lied to me first! You lied to me first! Yes! Yes, I lied to you first, but you had no knowledge I was lying about my fear of flying at the river when you lied to me! So as far as you knew, you lied to me first! Can't even argue with you. I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm just saying you lied to me first, as far as you knew. What's the matter? I got an ulcer. An ulcer? Yeah, I got an ulcer. I got a big fucking ulcer and all your bullshit starting to make it bleed again. You know why you have an ulcer? Because you have two forms of expression. Silence and rage. He was just, he had the chops to do any of these things and could do all of them. He could be the guy in a two-hander, like a, a... a mainstream Hollywood two-hander like Midnight Run and action, kind of like an action comedy or whatever you, whatever you would categorize that as. 
and he could hold down he could hold that part down legit and then he would do these things that subverted those things also it's really an amazing career and it's just like a guy like that there was only one of them well speaking of one of a kind people i am uh, I, I cannot believe my eyes right now i mean first we had Martin Short jumping on the Zoom, and that was the thrill of a lifetime. And now I see uh, another iconic name has joined the waiting room. It's almost, I'm not going to lie, it's almost like when too many good things happen to you in a row, and so you know you're just on the verge of something uh, terrible happening to even it all out. I'm sorry, I'm uh, a little drunk. Has Brett been talking for a long time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was longer yeah. than I than I had uh, intended. But, but the good news is I'm going to shut up very shortly here, right after I introduce our next guest, one of the all-time greatest comedy writers, one of the masterminds behind Late Night with David Letterman, uh, and the author of several books, including the recently published We Saw Scenery. Here comes Meryl Marco. Meryl, hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good. We are uh, doing. We're our so show. happy to talk to you right now. We're so happy to have you on, and we just love you so much. Well, I love you guys all as well. What a wonderful, wonderful experience we're all having. Yes, it's kind of, <laughs> it's the kind of magic that, that it's like Haley's Comet. It comes by maybe once in a lifetime. And if it does, you grab it with both hands. So what are these weird little, uh, I'm looking in your room at four little headlines and framed pictures. Oh, for what me, are that's, those? those are from uh, Get a Life. Those oh. are those uh, uh, are uh, newspapers that were featured in the Wallet Boy episode of Get a Life that spun ah. toward the camera and then landed. And uh, Adam Resnick was kind enough to gift me with those. And that's I see. Yeah. So I had to frame them and line them up and explain and them to every Zoom <laughs> I've done for the last year and a half. Sorry. No, no, no please. No, I'll start it's asking my... Julie about her room. <laughs> no, you <laughs> you can, but also, Meryl, you're you're the perfect person who immediately was like, oh, yeah, Adam Resnick, uh, get a life, got it. <laughs> yeah. There's no, you know exactly where we're coming from here. Yeah. Now, we're, we've been talking about uh, Charles Grodin, who uh, died last week, and we're... Um, kind of analyzing and 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 exploring this very weird singular career and presence and one of the one of the aspects to that was would have been his many talk show appearances yeah i was since i uh, knew i was coming on her i've been steeping myself in the charles groden talk show uh milieu as as it were. And I have um, I have been analyzing it myself and it's a very weird little tightrope he was walking. Here's what I figured out about it. Um, are you were you familiar with watching his own show when he had his own show, Charles Groden on MSN, not MSNBC, uh, C- on CNBC. C- CNBC. Yeah. Yeah. We were just uh, watching a clip from that. It was sort of like a Tom Snyder format. Right. And it was very weird. And uh, mm-hmm. the reason it was so very weird is because he had to do the very thing that he made fun of uh, Carson yeah. and Letterman doing. Uh, now, now that I have the job, I do have one, uh, one problem as, as a host. Um, as I see it, my major problem is, uh, you know, a lot of people hate me. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of great support uh, from the press and the media. I really appreciate it. But there were 
some uh, some very uh, true uh, headlines. Uh, Jay, can you show those uh, those headlines? <laughs> now, now the reason that happened is I had done uh, a lot of. Uh, appearances over the years, uh, and, and in these appearances with Johnny Carson, David Letterman, and many other different people, uh, I had done these bits where I acted like I was angry, where I would attack people, and the problem was, you know, a lot of people actually believe that these bits were, were real, so this, this got a lot of people saying I'm uncomfortable with What he would do when he would come on Carson and Letterman, I don't think I've ever seen anybody funnier on Johnny Carson than Charles Groton, for me anyway, mm -hmm. funnier than comedians doing tested stand-up, was just Charles Groton taking Johnny Par Carson's underpinnings apart, mm -hmm. saying to him, you know, he there's, there's an underlying structure of a talk show that nobody talks about, and it's this little one-act play that you're doing when you're the guest. In fact, when I was... Um, eventually on some of those shows for a book promotion, I was thinking, what's the difference between this and a one-act play? They pretty much just figure out what you're going to say. You tell them what you're going to say. They ask you questions. And when when Johnny Carson would ask Groden any of that, he'd go, well, I already told you this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. you, you know what the answer is to this question. Why should I answer it? it which was hilarious. And, yeah. and I have been criticized for being rude to you. And the reason I've been criticized is that I, I kind of refuse to answer your questions, right? No, it's a game you play. Right. It's a game I play. It's just all in fun, right? <laughs> now, but there's a reason I refuse to answer your questions. Why? I don't think you're really interested in your questions. <laughs> you're right there. Right. But, <laughs> see, the way you keep a job like this for 28 years, you pretend you're interested in every schlemiel who comes right. out of here. brings out something authentic in Johnny that you don't get to see a lot. And the fact that that um, Carson would make jokes off of Groden's jokes and then Groden would take apart Carson's jokes was mm -hmm. what was funny. They were playing off each other. Mm -hmm. When you got Groden with his own show, he had to be the support system of the guests he brought out. Yeah. And it totally yeah. ruined his thing. He couldn't yeah. he couldn't attack them. He was sort of the step in between between two ferns. And uh, the Letterman show. Wow. Where, you know, um, I'm uh, Zach Galifianakis just came out and just plain old attacked the guests. Mm -hmm. And Groden didn't actually do that. Had he done that, he would have been doing uh, Between Two Ferns first. Mm -hmm. And now you were you were uh, uh, on on the original late night back in the uh, starting. It was at 82 that it started. Um, yeah, I, like uh, 80. Yeah, I think it started in 82 or maybe on the cusp of 82. Okay. And he was one of the, uh, he was a, he was a, a pretty frequent guest. It's, it seemed uh, right from the get go on the show. Right. He was always um, really liked for, for the fact that he was um, doing everything upside down and backwards. But, you know, I thought he was funnier with Carson than he was with Letterman because Letterman didn't have, um, strict structures that you could dissemble, mm -hmm. you know, like Letterman, you, you say something weird to Letterman, he would go with it. Mm -hmm. Johnny, you right. expected it to be a B C D E, you know? And so when Groden would come yeah. on and take them apart and turn the whole thing, spin the whole thing upside down, that was funnier, I think, than, mm -hmm. than when he did it with Letterman. Sure. Because late, was, late night in its own con concert, I'm sorry, Julie, was just like, it was no. in itself a, a, a deconstructed De talk show. Yes. 
And Charles Gordon was really deconstructing everything he went on. I just watched his, did you see the Saturday Night Live appearance he did? I did not no, watch it. I, I, I was listening. I, I, I heard about it. Is he just making fun of it being live? No, what he's doing is deconstructing Saturday Night Live. He's doing the exact same thing. I, I, I didn't know that there would be an audience here. <laughs> How many of you know that this is live? <laughs> you know, I, I've never seen the Saturday Night Show, but uh, I hear it's a, a wonderful, wonderful show. Uh, I wish I'd had more time during the week to rehearse and, and, and really work on the skits with all the gang here, but... but how can you come to New York and, and not see a, at least a couple of Broadway shows? And so uh, I, I haven't been around too much this week, but uh, I think they've got me in some crazy skits. And uh, while I've been here doing some promos for the show, I, I've seen the kids uh, rehearsing and uh, it, it looks like a, a really cute show. Uh, I'm gonna have a wonderful time and uh, I hope you do too. Uh, we'll, we'll be right back. And then he's just sort of wandering through the sketches going, oh, am I supposed to stand over here? He sits down with Paul Simon. Oh my to God, sing. what a nightmare. <laughs> I did see a Simon and Garfunkel thing, right? Where yeah, he's in he the did, chair he, with he, Art. He's doing Artie. He's not really in any of the sketches. He's he's observing the sketches almost. You know, he's he d- doesn't do a monologue. He's talking about how he didn't know he had to do a monologue. <laughs> he's he's deconstructing the show, which is funny. And uh, but only he would get away with that. You know, he he was so um, interestingly weird doing that. He it was like he was deeply insulted and living on some other planet the way that he was doing stuff. <laughs> the other the other thing that always sort of bums me with his Letterman appearances is that they're two cranky guys. They kind of are on the same wavelength in, in a way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I saw, um, I watched the one where you, you guys, um, Tom pointed out to me, I'm standing in the hall right before. And it was, there were, he did a thing called a, a called opening where he came out and was complaining from the minute he got to the show about the makeup artist and this and that and the other thing. And, um, and then he came on the show and said, okay, I just did a cold opening and uh, and they told me that was going to be funny for me to complain about everything, but I don't know if it is funny. When I, I, when I uh, saw that I was going to be on the show and asked me how I would feel about doing what they call a cold opening. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the, the term? Uh, I've heard some people around the office yeah. use it. Yeah. And, and uh, they wanted me, they said, would you come in and blow up and get very angry? Mm-hmm. So that would be the comedy uh, opening. And uh, I said I wanted to think about it because I didn't think being unfriendly was going to be Funny, which mm-hmm. I don't think it was. No, know? I thought it was. Funny. Was it? I, I found I, it amusing. I, did you? Well, yeah. you. I think. You, well, last night, actually. Now that you mention it, you were interviewing a fellow who almost uh, who did die, right? Yes, he did die. Not while I was talking to him, but uh, <laughs> a couple of months ago, he died, and he's fine now. So you said to him at some point. Um, <laughs> so you were dead, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yes. For the single best sensitive <laughs> remark. Uh, <laughs> Talk show so you would probably find that opening funny. I found um, it funny. Yeah. Well, he uh, was dead. He knows he was dead. And you were just reminding him and uh, the audience that I, uh, <laughs> I just uh, for, for anybody who tuned in late, I'm sitting here talking to a person who was dead, yeah, and uh, yeah, he's sitting here. Right. He's sitting here. Anyway, the unfriendly thing is the reason I said I would do it is uh, to show people that uh, 
unfriendliness really is uh, stupid. Uh, but now it turns out it can be stupid and funny. funny. But nobody wants to be stupid. Or, yeah, even if you're funny. And that the fact that they asked him to come on and be cranky and he's deconstructing it is less funny than just him saying to Johnny Carson, you don't care what my answers are, do you? You don't even do you. Why are you even asking me that question? Do you care what I have to say he is way funnier? Yeah. No, Johnny Carson doesn't care. We never heard anybody say that to Johnny Carson before. It's the first time. I'm not a big Johnny Carson fan, but when I watched that Groden yeah, with him me neither. the other night, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen on Johnny Carson. You could see the angry guy underneath all that pomp and circumstance. You could see there's some authenticity and yeah. all of his bitterness. And it, it, th- th- he brings out, he just brings out something authentic and and nasty and strange about Carson that I always had a hard time connecting with him because of, you know, that sort of being mm-hmm. shellacked over with Pollock. Yeah. He made him be honest. And Carson was willing to be honest, which was surprising to me. Carson says back to him, yeah, no, I don't care what anyone says. So this is how I got the job. I sit here and I pretend I'm interested. You're right. Right. Whereas <laughs> so Dave would I'm- say that every if Dave would say that before the monologue every night. Yeah, I thought that was that was genuinely really funny. So and then when when Groden is pretending to is promoting his book, he keeps making Carson hold the book up and stuff. Everybody else who goes on that show is promoting their book, but nobody's allowed to say they are. And so that's that's where he was really shining to me that and and um, and of course, his acting was really funny, too. Yeah. In fact, I'm still disturbed. I was talking to Tom about this. I'm still disturbed by that performance in um, Heartbreak Kid. That is the most disturbing yeah. guy yeah. I've ever seen in a movie, we except were, for the what? one in Diary of a Mad Housewife, which is actually more disturbing. Just in terms of being sociopathically obsessed with getting what he wants and yeah. and then never able to. It's almost like he, he just uses people as stepping stones to get to the next person. Tell me. Tell me it's wonderful, Lenny. Say it. I just said it. Say it again. I didn't hear you. I just said it. How many times you want me to say it? If you wouldn't keep asking me so much, you would have heard me say it. It's goddamn wonderful, all right? I don't know what's wrong with you. Nothing. You've been acting this way the whole trip. I haven't. I've been a little irritable in Georgia. I was fine in Virginia and Delaware. I just wanted to know how it felt to you. It felt really terrific. It's just... I don't understand why I have to announce it all the time. You don't have to announce it all the time. Just tell me. I have to be reassured. What's wrong with that? It's difficult to give out bulletins in the heat of passion. You hardly said a word to me all night. I'm always quiet at night. That and the fact that Jeannie Berlin is so relatable and um, and so it's so sad to watch her get stepped on and screwed over. <laughs> well, that makes you hate him more because yeah. why would you disrespect? This is the most wonderful woman in the world. I was when I was rewatching all these talk show appearances of of Grodin's, I was thinking he had something in common with Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's which being is completely really committed to making himself laugh, but not caring about you know yeah, whether anyone else got it. He would just come in. He would he would set up a, a premise 
and didn't just stay with it. The, the, uh, no the, matter what happened. Did you watch the one or were you, oh, well, did you watch, were you there when, I, I don't think you were there when Charles Grodin brought his attorney out. Because I watched he, that one though. Yes. And I didn't think that one, that's a really, really funny idea, but I didn't think that one worked as well as just Grodin. The concept of it was really Johnny funny. Carson. But there's yeah, still, a, there's still a moment in it when he does, when his attorney asks for the, the water and Charles Grodin just turns his focus to his attorney and just stares at him where you're <laughs> like, it's the slowest burn of all slow burns on a talk show. Like, it's just like, we're just going to, I'm just going to hit pause now and stare at this guy. Now I'm not even mad at Letterman anymore. I'm mad at my attorney for wanting a glass of water. That's what you're saying, Marilyn. There are one act plays. He just brought out another character. Charles, welcome to the uh, show. I understand. You keep saying you don't know why I'm here, but you do know why I'm here. What is it? I mean, last week on two separate nights, one with Carol Burnett, another with Dabney Coleman, I I was really liable on the show. Oh, how so? Well, I mean, certain things were allowed to go out on the air that were said about me. You said certain things, and Dabney Coleman said certain things, and they were allowed to go out on the air. But it's it's just a joke, and and I can't... Are you serious about this? I I don't think it's a joke. You're really actually serious. Yeah, I don't think it's a joke, and I think uh, when the the audience uh, sees uh, the tape of the previous shows, they will see that... uh, it's not that clearly a joke, and I don't think it is a joke. In fact, I brought with me tonight uh, uh, my attorney, who's uh, who's going to sit here with me. And uh, so uh, Neil Framens is my attorney, and I'd, I'd like to bring him. Neil, Neil. I was sad that it wasn't a real attorney. Yeah. Yeah, I was bummed about that too. It just seemed like kind of a dopey character actor, and it would have been. I I agree. I there. Yeah, I agree. I love what should have got at least a, at some real attorney. I mean, it, mm-hmm. attorneys are egomaniacs. They would be easy to book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brett, do we have someone in the waiting room by any chance? Yes, this is very exciting. To join us and Meryl. We've got another guest is- joining us right now. Um, uh, absolute iconic comedian. Uh, the very funny uh, Elaine Boozler is joining us now. Let me oh bring Elaine on. Amazing. Hello, Elaine. How are you doing? It's doing so well because I have relatives visiting and I get to be in here in a room alone. I love Yes! <laughs> I can't thank you. Walk. I can't thank you, Odin, for picking today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, they are coming from Brooklyn. Thank you all very much. And- <laughs> oh, we're wow, happy to keep you nice and isolated from you. other I human beings. It's a two-hour podcast that I yeah. It's finally, it might run long. It might run yeah. long. We're just like, oh, I don't know. They want six more hours from me. I'll... <laughs> It's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. Elaine, we uh, are so excited to have you join us. We, I kind of wish it were on happier circumstances, but we're delighted to to host you regardless. And we understand you have a a, a Charles Grodin connection, a Charles Grodin story, a a Charles Grodin memory to share with us because we're such fans and, uh, and we know that you were too. Yeah. You know, uh, everyone credits Johnny Carson with uh, breaking all, you know, young comedians, but he didn't. It was Merv Griffin, Johnny, was pretty rough and he didn't put on women and he didn't put on well young women and he didn't put on many black people comedy you know he was not the gateway to comedy that was Merv and I must have been Merv Griffin every 15 minutes he was so wonderful and I had you always talk on the commercials he was filthy and hilarious and the most fun you could have (laughs) 
And I always was told him how much I loved Charles Grodin, because Grodin was always on the Merv Griffin show. And as a surprise to me, I'm he has Grodin come on one of the visits, and Grodin does his whole thing, and, and then I'm to come on, and Charles moves down to the you know the couch next to the chair, and um and I can't look over because I'm so starstruck. I was really young. And Mervis, really? Oh God! Everyone was once. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. But yes, okay, Elaine, oh, you can take it that way. <laughs> I, heard you, I heard you didn't have visual on this. Are you saying you can't? You do? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, I was so young and so gobsmacked and so starstruck. Yeah. And Murph kept saying, "Come on, Elaine, look to the right. Look to your right. Come on, look to your right." But I can't. I can't. And Roden, of course, played everything perfectly. And we had, mm-hmm. and I couldn't look. I couldn't look over to look at him. And finally, Merv said, "Okay, tell us why you are so starstruck. What what is it about his work?" And I said, "You don't understand. To me, Buster Keaton is the god of all gods, and no one could be that economical. What Keaton did physically, Charles Grodin does verbally. He is wow. so oh. direct, so economical, so." elegant and spare. And before I could finish the sentence, Grodin leaps off the couch, leaps on top of me, gets me down and starts, you know, this kiss, this kiss from a movie. Now, nowadays you couldn't do it, but it was the greatest bit in the world. (gasps) You knew how funny it was like, oh, I have to have her. You know, she gets it. (laughs) And it was, and people were screaming, you know, now I'm sure people are appalled. They're thinking, oh my God, she didn't say yes, but Trust me, it wasn't like that. It was wonderful. And That's so, amazing. He was so funny, and he just chose the right response. And, of course, the kiss took ten full minutes, so everyone's just waiting. And then he just fixes his suit and sits back down, and I am completely speechless for the rest of the show. And Merv keeps oh. throwing things to me to speak, and I can't. It was just very funny, and it built and built and built, and it was absolutely just wonderful. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, it was so great. You know, he ravished you. He ravished you. I'm so glad you were still allowed (laughs) to do that then because Mm -hmm. I would have hated to have missed that. So here's the last thing and then I'll I'll throw it over to Miss Marco and go back to Brooklyn. I got nothing. You got nothing? Ladies, ladies, come on, let's get some false cop. Let's lean in here. Let's have some let's have some false bravado. You've got to know everything. I'm the best. You gotta have because Groden really handled Letterman incredibly well. Do you think, Elaine, I have a question for you. Do you think Groden had something in common with Andy Kaufman kinda, don't you think? No, I see it as a totally different energy and a totally different approach. Andy did characters and you never knew what was Maybe so in the sense that you didn't know if Groden was for real every time. Yeah, and he would just stay committed to it. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry, I agree. There, I forgot the rules of improv. Yes, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's yes and, Elaine. Yes, I like and. that you changed it to sorry. yes, but. Right. That's yes, a very... And. No, that's Ju- that's uh, that's Jewish improv. Jewish improv. No, that's Jewish improv. No! <laughs> uh, Meryl, you're right. I, uh-huh. I do agree with that. I think you're right. No one knew how to handle him and if he, he was completely for real. And yes, he committed totally to the bit. I agree. But he sure knew how to handle Letterman. Wow. Elaine, when you were on that show and you were completely starstruck and smitten, what, what did it have to do? Like, what was your, what, what made you a Groden fan first? Well, probably the way he worked, which was the, you know, being the, the verbal Buster Keaton in the sense of how spare and elegant and direct 
and um, the brevity of his work. He was so perfectly um, proportioned. It's more than deadpan. Like people say deadpan just uh, as a. You know, I'll tell you something. I, I don't even consider Keaton deadpan because his eyes did all the expression. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like he's talking. My husband, when we met, I said, I'm taking you to the silent movie theater on Fairfax in Hollywood. They have a live organist playing to the movie tonight. He said, I don't want to see a silent movie. And I said, well, you're coming. That's the way it is. And I dragged him there. And at, we left after the movie. And I said, see, you loved it. He went, yeah, but it wasn't a silent movie. And I said, what? He said, they talked. I said, no, they never did. That's oh really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's huge. It's, it's like the way people thought that they saw the knife going into Janet Lee and exactly. Psycho. You fill in the spaces when everything else is provided for you. And Keith's mm-hmm. eyes told every story he had. It. By the way, Elaine, I like that story as a first date. I'm not going there. Yes, you are. No. And now we're married. <laughs> and, and nothing's changed. It's pretty much. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Why would it? It worked the first time. And Elaine, what what was it like for you to be uh, a comic who was kind of, uh, you got a taste of both worlds, the older version of show business and the new version of comedy and show, but like you, you saw both iterations of talk shows and of show business. What was it like to navigate those change, those changing currents? I, I might, I don't know if anyone else has this, but I have the three door things that say Elaine Boozler. I don't know how many other people did all three tonight shows, but I did it with Carson uh, oh, wow. and Jimmy Fallon. So I have those three door Jeez. things. Which, wow. Honey, I know. That's I don't awesome. know anyone else who didn't commit suicide, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Still be. When, what year did you finally do it with Carson, Elaine? Uh, uh, after Helen Reddy took me on and I, sorry, but I did blow the roof off. He couldn't deny me. So mm-hmm. I love it. It was I all love that. Set. You know, Helen had put me on the couch and everything was so magnificent. And it was really. Cool. Oh, yeah, and I wasn't supposed to go near the couch. They said, you won't go near the couch? Don't. I don't care if she waves you over. She'll like you. So, But we don't like you. So she's going to wave you over. You are not allowed. You will never be back here if you go over to the couch with her. So I finished my stand-up. I got 13 applause breaks, which was unheard of. And she's waving. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's waving me to the couch. And I go, oh, ah, ah. And I look, and the director and the producer and the cameraman, they're all waving, yes, go over. And I went, oh, they're testing me. <laughs> they told mm-hmm. me. Yeah, this is a trick. <laughs> it's a trick. It's a trick. Don't eat that yeah. dog biscuit. I put it on your nose and don't eat that dog biscuit. So <laughs> I love that we all love like, that. Don't freak out. And I'm, I, I don't go over because I know they're testing me. They said, don't go over. So I go to the curtain and they throw me back out. Go over. I said, oh, all right, I don't know anything. So it was so big. I mean, my life changed overnight. So they, Carson had wow. to put me on. Okay. So they say, well, remember when you're done, you walk right over to the couch, walk right over to the couch with Johnny as soon as you're done. So I do my set. I have another 13 applause breaks. It's great. They're waving. Don't go over to the couch. Don't go over to the couch. And I go, what is going on in this joint? Already? It's, so is there asbestos in this place? What's going on? And they're waving, don't go over, don't go over. And so I walk backstage and they go, what happened out there? And I said, what? What happened out there? He didn't want you to come over. I said, well, I don't know. I was doing my act. I mean, you saw what I saw. I don't. And that was it. He never had me on. He hated me so much. Really? Well, wasn't the word that he used about you threatening? Yeah, threatening like a thunderstorm. Uh-huh. 
Like weather. Threatening. I was like weather. I was threatening. And my brain was <laughs> That's an interesting synonym for Semitic. I continued to do the show with guest hosts, but I never did it with them again, which was fine with me. Yeah, that's I, insane. Well, that was why it's so wonderful to watch Groden with, with Carson. Because Groden just is just sticking the knife in and twisting it. It's it's done really playfully, and Carson is really funny with him. Yeah, with that's it. great. You but, know, like a tennis player just lobbing it back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's the only guy I ever saw. You know, everyone else came out and was in awe a of Carson. And that stuff I never understood, but I could understand the Groden thing. Right. Nobody would take the chance, but Charles was always Charles, and. You know, the other genius of him is that any, you know, a lot of people do movies that aren't the best movies in the world. I didn't care what he was in. I would watch it for him. And mm-hmm. really, well, of course, he was he was never name anything he was bad in. He was never bad in anything, you know, right, and right. it wasn't always the same exact way. He just, you know, sometimes he was really vulnerable, but it was still him. I mean, mm-hmm. he, just, he just ticked all the boxes, yet he was always incredibly funny in a, in a very unique way. And that's what I Except, except, did you ever watch his own show on CNBC? No, when was that? That was on for like years. Mid-90s? It was a couple of years and it was like, totally weird. I had a few years where I slept a lot, so no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very weird because he had to be the support system for other people, oh, which is a problem. Books. Hmm? He was a talk show host. Yeah, yeah, host. yeah. I don't yeah. see him doing that at all, unless it's like Andy, just completely. It was. Not- it was a little bit because didn't he have like an Andy Rooney style bit, Brett, where we were talking about where he had like a little like like a radio show where he would just opine about things. I got this little CD player with a headset. People really recommended it for relaxation. I said relaxation, so I got it. My wife helped me to understand how to work it. It was great the first few times. Then my weaknesses took over. I can turn a light switch on and off, but I can't always get the TV to come on. I've never had a typewriter, a computer, no email, so of course, eventually, I wasn't able to operate the CD player. The word error kept coming up on the screen, which gave me a chest pain, which mostly went away as I wrote this. In other words, when you're stressed, think of something fun to do. Even eating a donut would qualify. I'm Charles Grodin for WCBS News Radio 880. That's what he did on his talk show. He just kind of opined, and then he ended up bringing on people that he was legitimately mad at, and then getting really <laughs> mad at them. But they weren't Is funny in return. Well, that's mm-hmm. which was just Andy weird. Kaufman. That's very Andy Kaufman. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Too bad. Maybe he was ahead of his time. Be great now. <laughs> Yeah, well, he was actually, you know, it was the sort of thing by the end of that show, it was like, I don't know if I like Charles Grodin that much anymore. Well, I'm glad I didn't. It was a mistake. Because I've loved him my whole life. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. Well, you got smooch. You got the the Grodin smooch. I'm still thinking about that, Elaine. You the Grodin smooch off. That ain't bad. That ain't bad. No, it was really You and and Beethoven got to lock lips. (laughs) Elaine, I, I, Elaine, I, I. Elaine, I adore you. We both adore you. Thank you so much for for coming. And we we really want to spend more time with you soon. So please, yes. please make some time as for us soon as soon as your book is done or or not. You come on anytime you want. We would love to talk about everything. If with you, you. want to talk, if you want to talk to us while you're procrastinating writing your book, that's fine that too. Would help a lot. I'm almost through alphabetizing the linen closet, so I should be ready to start writing soon. <laughs> Sounds okay. per- per- you're you're in exactly where you need to be. Sounds like you're exactly where you need to be. Thanks. Well, thank you so much. It was a we love total, you. We love you, joy. Elaine. Meryl, are you still there? I'm still there. Come in, so- come in, Meryl. Come in, Ooh. Meryl. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, Meryl, this is you, one of the clips that I was looking at. This one. That do you want to watch I, some clips with us? This will be fun. We'll watch sure. this and then. Okay. Yes. What was the lowest point in your life other than earlier tonight? Uh, <laughs> You're taking my jokes. Oh, excuse yeah, me. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, the lowest point yeah. in my life? You mean in show business? Sure. Yeah, no, in really. the textile business, of course. <laughs> of course, in show business. What else have you done? I well, mean, there are there are things other than show business. People have low points. But I points don't know what else you've done outside business. of this. Well, I've lived outside of this. Right, what was the low point when you were living? I don't know. You know what I mean? The lowest point in my life when I was living. Outside of show business, what outside I mean. Outside of show. Outside business. of show business. I'll answer that question if you'll answer that question. Sure. Okay, what was the lowest point in your life, your personal life, when outside I, of show business? When I first got divorced. Your first time? Mm-hmm. And that was the hardest time? Yeah. See, I wouldn't reveal anything that personal. <laughs> oh, they're, they're literally booing him. That's really funny. Such I a think. good trick. It's, it's a, such a good trick. Yeah. Meryl, will you please tell us that story about your dog that ate that toy four times? Oh yes, and, and wh- I love this <laughs> that. Was story. my dog Lewis? It was uh, it was uh, it was a squeaking um, uh, porcupine, as I recall. And I brought it home, and uh, and I gave it to him, and he squeaked it a few times. It had spikes in it, but it squeaked it compressed all the way to almost flat. But he, I gave it to him and he squeaked it a few times. And I thought, oh, this was a really successful um, toy purchase <laughs> exchange. And then he swallowed it and then uh, started making horrible noises. <laughs> so I rushed him to the vet and, uh, and they, they showed me the x-ray and you could see it had expanded again in his intestine. Oh, to the God, Lewis. So they had to take it uh, out of him surgically. And I believe it was $3,500. So when I got the dog, which is a lot of money. Uh, And so I got the dog out of surgery. I picked him up and uh, they gave me the little squeaking porcupine back in a plastic container to prove that they're like like when you leave when you leave prison and they give you your belongings that you came in with. Yes. And they gave it to me in a little plastic container. And I uh, and I thought, okay, well, this thing is worth thirty five hundred dollars now. So I took it home. And I put it up on a bookshelf in its little plastic container, it being one of my most valued possessions. <laughs> and then I came home from work and I noticed that Lewis was making those same noises again. And then I looked at the- Oh my God. And I noticed that there it wasn't there anymore. <laughs> and so I rushed him back <laughs> to the vet. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they removed it a second time. Bringing the total to seven thousand dollars, mm-hmm. and when I finally picked the, the damn dog up this time, they gave me that thing back again in a little plastic container. And I swear to God, Lewis looked at it and just parted his lips like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, mm, ah." So Hello, I old threw, friend. I, that was when I threw it out. Yeah. What would you oh, do? If you, what if you looked under <laughs> Lewis's dog bed and found thirty five hundred dollars, and you realized he had a deal going with the vet? <laughs> I would. Uh, yeah, that would have been. Well, then I, I guess I could have taken it and, and at least cut my losses. Yeah. Or if thirty five hundred dollars worth of those toys show up at your house, then you know. 
I love the idea that he wakes up from the second surgery, sees this porcupine, and is like, aha. And so it begins. Mm -hmm. He really seriously was interested in it a third time. Of course he was. Of course. Honestly, Meryl, it was probably even more interesting to him, not only because now it's a $7,000 toy, but also imagine all the smells of something that's been through your intestines twice? And it had a big oh, smile on its face, is the other oh, thing. Oh, I'm it sure. It through the intestine twice, <laughs> came out smiling. Yeah, you're talking about this story. <laughs> makes me want to go eat it now. That was one of two um, memorable um, bowel-related incidents with mm-hmm. Lewis, who also, by the way, loved a couch. You know, the, um, the, the material I used to do about Lewis was he used to um, he used to have sex with my couch. And he would do sure. it when you came in the door to my house and he was so excited to see you that after he jumped on you, he'd run down to the living room and start having sex with the couch. And I used to always think to myself, what if it was my husband, Lewis? And I had to say to him, look, I just want to tell you, when you come in my house, my, my husband is going to be so excited to see you that he's going to run into the living room and he's going to start having sex. He's going to start masturbating with the couch. Don't be alarmed. It's just his way of saying, welcome to my home. You're welcome in my home. Uh, it's like what and can yeah. i just ask quickly meryl when he was humping the couch would he maintain eye contact with the visitor um well yeah actually he would in fact, <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't looking at the couch he was like humping the couch and being like you are the one i want to do this too but i can't he was it was he i guess he had been watching too much of the tonight show he had that couch fixation mm-hmm. Once you get to the couch, they give you they give you all they give you all the porcupines you ever wanted when you get to that couch. (laughs) Yeah. Every week, you know, thirty five hundred. I made thirty five hundred dollars this week. Okay, I made I made another thirty (laughs) five and then you're dead and you say, well, at least I swallowed a lot of porcupines on my way out. Yeah, that was my favorite thing that Warren Zevon said. Uh, He said, just keep eating those. Porcupine toys. Said porcupines, dogs, and money. He was a he was a friend of mine, and he came over and gave my dog some weird toy that the dog swallowed. And I just thought, Oh, oh. Warren, <laughs> so, Warren, <laughs> don't you know this dog loves to swallow things? Yes. So Warren Zevon was giving your dog toys. He did give my dog a toy. You that buried he the lead on this one, Meryl. That's the Meryl. Why did you start with the? Oh, first of all, did the dog go oh? <laughs> oh, this is this is a total treat. Thank you so much for joining us, Meryl. We love you. Well, and thank you for your thank latest you. book. Is yes. we saw scenery and Meryl's got so many great books. And I'm very impressed by your eye makeup, you. also, Julie. Oh, I'm gonna go. Like at- I- I'm going to go do my eyes like that now. Thank you, my friend. Awesome. Right, we will. My friend. We'll Thank talk you for joining soon. us. All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. Okay. Have a great bye, weekend. Meryl. Hey, bye-bye. Bye. 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 Can you believe how much fun this was? I'm so happy to have this show to do with you every week. And I'm so excited that we have this opportunity to talk about what we love and bring in people that we love and Mm -hmm. celebrate people that we love and share it with people we love. So yes, this was so cool and so fun. And, um, and, uh, yeah, what an honor to chat with so many awesome people about 
one of the greats that is no longer with us, but hopefully this will be a, at the very least a, a primer to people that want to know more about Grodin's stuff and um, turn you on to him. And um, we just, uh, we, we, we love him and we're just so glad we got a chance to celebrate him. Yes. It's such a, somebody who, who had a one of a kind career and it was, it's somebody who made an impression on both of us early and it will last forever. And thank you to everybody who came on Martin short, Elaine Boozler, Meryl Marco, and to you, the double threat listener. And to Brett, we say howdy partner. Uh, Brett and I have a little bit of a, uh, a face off coming here, Julie, that you might not know about my beloved new York Knickerbockers finally in the playoffs after a decade and then home court Brett, advantage in the first round too. home court advantage. Brett is from Atlanta, as you know, and his, his beloved Atlanta Hawks are also back in the playoffs Come for the on, first baby. time in a long time. So Brett, I would like to offer you a, a challenge here. I would like to make a bet with you. Yeah. Uh, it's a best of seven series. Mm-hmm. $400,000 a game. Uh, what uh, is happening? When did this show become what it is now? What just happened? I, I totally blacked out and then I woke up to 400,000. Four, what? I want to wager walk me through 400 this. grand, 400 grand a game. So each game, whoever's team wins, the other person is, is up or down $400,000. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so then if, if you're, when your team wins the series, you get a bonus of a half a half a million dollars. So if somebody sweeps then that's uh <laughs> 1.6 million. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm proposing. Plus the bo- plus the, the, the bonus. Plus the bonus. <laughs> yeah, that would put you at 2.1 million dollars <laughs> you owe. No, I want to just say payable. This is payable in what? In forever, forever doge bucks. Forever doge coin. Okay. Forever, forever, forever doge coin. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, you just find out Elon Musk is on a bridge about to jump off. I mean, the current, the current, the current exchange rate. Forever Dogecoin. Yeah. I mean, this is doable too, because the current exchange rate of Forever Dogecoin is like 200 million equals like $1 US currency. So this is, this is actually any. Yeah. I just want to say to Brett, seriously, all kidding aside, you know, Hawk suck. Now, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will be back next with another fun show. See you then. Goodbye. Bye. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.